Well, gang, good morning. It's great to see everyone. I, uh, I miss being with you all last week. I had the privilege, the joy of preaching over at uh, Daniel Island for the first time, and it was great to, to meet that, those folks um, and, uh, and just get a sense of what God is doing over there, and there's a lot of excitement uh, about what God is preparing for them to step into in just a few short weeks. They will become uh, their own uh, congregation with a mission, really uh, free to step in fully into that mission there on Daniel Island, and I am thrilled uh, for them. In fact, we are going to celebrate that tonight. Uh, we're going to get to commission them as a congregation and to pray over their new vestry at our annual meeting tonight, which begins at 5. And so I want to encourage you to, to be here. We'll also have oysters and chili, and it's going to be a great night just to worship and also to hear about what the Lord has for us here at Holy Cross. And I want to share with you some uh, thoughts on vision for 2024 and some important changes. And so you're going to want to be here uh, tonight, again, 5 to 8 p.m. as we come together for our annual meeting. But this morning... We are continuing in the season of Epiphany. And it's the season where we get to discover more about this Jesus that we've just heard about in the Gospel of Mark. And so we want to look together at the Gospel of Mark. I want to invite you to turn uh, your Bible to this chapter 1, verse 29. That's where we're going to be. It's on page 785. You want to have that in front of you, open in front of you, in your lap, because we're going to work through this account together, almost verse by verse, because I want us to see and learn together more about this Jesus, who he is and why he has come. And so looking together in verse 29, and immediately Jesus left the synagogue, left the synagogue and entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So stop there. This is interesting to me. In some ways, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's a tradition. Oftentimes, after church, after worship, where do you go? You go out to lunch, right? You go out to lunch. Maybe you go over to a friend's house after you've worshiped together, get some time together. It's almost like that exact thing is happening here. They've been at the synagogue, and now they're going to Simon and Andrew's house. They've invited Jesus to come over. I, I thought of my own experience of this, a way that I was blessed through this kind of ministry when I was in college. I was looking for a church, trying to find a good fit, and one of the places that I ended up worshiping, and part of the reason I ended up staying there, was because there was a couple, uh, Frank and Debbie, and they invited me over for lunch after worship one day. In fact, they invited a bunch of us college students over on a regular basis, and it wasn't because they were doing college ministry. It was because they just wanted us to feel welcome. And so they would invite us to come over and enjoy lunch. And it was a beautiful ministry. And I loved it. And I felt loved by it. And so there's something powerful going on here. Jesus is now being invited into the house of Simon and Andrew after synagogue. And so Jesus says, yeah, he says, okay, let's go to your house. They come. Uh, and it's a moment where we get to see kind of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in a beautiful way. You see, Jesus has invited Simon and Andrew to follow him, and at the same time, he is pursuing them, isn't he? He's saying, follow me, and yet he's very intentional about moving deeper and deeper into life with them. In fact, you see this in the Gospel of Mark. There's this progression. If you go back to the beginning 
and you look at where Jesus is here in Mark chapter 1. Where does he begin? In the wilderness. And then he moves into Capernaum. And then he goes from Capernaum into the synagogue. And now, here in verse 29, he enters into a home. Jesus is very intentional about pursuing relationship with people. And we see that even in the progression of the gospel. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's pursuing us. He's pursuing us. He wants to enter in, as it were, to our house, enter into our life, enter into our work and relationships. And so that when we choose to follow Jesus, he's not just with us sometimes and in some places, he's with us always and everywhere. He's going with us wherever we go. And that's really important. It's really important for us to be aware of, and it's really important uh, for those around us, those in our lives. And we see that. Look what happens next. In the next verse, we're told, Now Simon's mother-in-law, his mother-in-law, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So just to give you a little context about what's going on here, in in the first century, in Jesus' day, it would have been very normative for an extended family all to live in one house. And that's what we're encountering here, right? We've got probably a one-room house, and here's Peter and his wife, and guess who lives with them? His mother-in-law. Man, doesn't that sound great? One room? mother-in-law. I mean, just put all that together, right? Okay. Can you imagine? Some of you are like, no, I don't want to imagine that. Um, But this is Simon's family, right? This is the beauty of what's happening here. This is his home. This is his family. And so Simon is introducing Jesus to his family. His wife gets to meet Jesus. His mother-in-law gets to meet Jesus. This is incredible. And so we see this And we see this, again, in our own lives. When Christ comes into our lives, we get the joy, don't we, of introducing him to others in our life, to our family, and to our friends, to our classmates. Husbands and wives, if you're a follower of Christ, you get the privilege of inviting Jesus into your marriage. Parents, you get the joy, the privilege of inviting Jesus into your parenting and your children's lives. What we see here is Jesus' method for reaching people, don't we? And what is his method? His method to reach people is people. Jesus reaches people through us. Isn't that amazing? That's how his kingdom comes in the world. That's how his mission goes forth, through us and through our relationships. And so we see that here. And we see that when others in our life meet Jesus, amazing things happen. Look what it says in verse 31. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. I love that. I love how simple that is. He comes to her, he takes her by the hand, he lifts her up and she's healed and begins to serve them. See, she got up and she started serving them. What that's telling us is that she was fully restored. She was back to life. She was in it. There was nothing wrong with her. She was fully restored to health. But what's important here, I think, is to notice how Jesus heals her. This phrase really captivated me this week. He takes her by the hand. 
He takes her by the hand. I, I don't think that's any coincidence that this is how Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. Part of the reason I think it stood out to me is it stands contrary to what so often goes on today in many healing ministries. Jesus here, for example, doesn't pray some long, kind of exaggerated or perfunctory prayer, kind of working up to a healing, does he? He does no histrionics, no theatrics. He quietly, he simply takes her hand in his hand, and he lifts her up, and she's healed. To me, this is Christ's way of healing. Intentional, personal, beautiful. And it reveals some very important things to us about who Jesus is and what he's like. So it certainly reveals his authority, doesn't it? His authority over sickness. Jesus is the author of life. Colossians 1 says he was there. He helped create all that is. He's the firstborn of creation, we're told. And so he created this woman. He created you and me. He knows us. He knows our bodies. He has authority over our bodies and over the sickness that attacks our bodies. That's an incredible power that Jesus possesses. And that kind of power, that kind of overwhelming, raw power that we see here, it's, it's at dissonance with, I think, how we tend to think of power in our day and age. In our day and age, we often have a negative view of power, I think. And there's good reason for that. In a fallen world, we know that power can corrupt, don't we? We know that power can be dangerous in the wrong hands. Many of us have lost trust in institutions and in authority figures, in part because of the way they abuse power. But Jesus is showing us that authority and power can be a gift. Power in his hands is a good thing, a beautiful thing. I love how Christian author Andy Crouch says it. He says, the power we see in Jesus is a gift used to bless and to serve for the flourishing of individuals, peoples, and the cosmos itself. For followers of Christ, power is not the opposite of servanthood. Rather, servanthood, ensuring the flourishing of others, is the very purpose of God's power. See, God's power is a different kind of power. God's power serves. God's power heals. God's power forgives. It frees us from fear and from shame. And when we put our trust in this Jesus through his Holy Spirit, he takes our hand in his and he heals us. His compassionate power is what heals us. Who among us here today doesn't need Jesus to take our hand and lift us up. I do. I think we all do, don't we? We long to know his hand in our hand. And who in our lives doesn't need to know the healing hand of Jesus in their hand? Who among us doesn't have a friend or a spouse or a family member who doesn't need to be lifted up by Christ to know that he loves them and has the power to restore them. It says that after Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, word got out. <laughs> I love how it says the whole town showed up 
at the door. And so what this means is there's a rotating uh, line of people who are coming to Jesus for healing and for deliverance. And so imagine Jesus doing this for every person that came. It says he healed many, he delivered many, all through the night, I would imagine. But at some point, he got tired. We got, he got tired, and we know he went to sleep. Being fully God and fully man, he got tired, he went to sleep, and we know that because he rose. He rose very early in the morning, is what it says next. And while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And what did he do there? He prayed. He went out to a place to be alone, and he prayed. Notice that Jesus had a lot going on here. Right? He'd been busy all through the night. I'm sure he was exhausted. It would have been, if, if I was Jesus, thank God I'm not Jesus. If I was Jesus, I would have slept in. Right? I mean, if you need an excuse, I was healing people all night, y'all. Right? And yet he got up early in the dark and he went off by himself and he prayed. You know, I think the temptation for me is to grab my phone first thing and start scrolling when I wake up. In those dark hours rolling out of the bed to begin to think as quick as I can all the things I got to do for the day to launch into it thinking about what is important to me and what I want to see happen. I think, if I'm honest, on some level, what I'm saying to the Lord when I do that is, Lord, I think I need this phone more than I need you today. I think I need this text, this email, this news feed more than I need you today. Not always consciously, but I think that's what's going on. It reminded me of uh, an old friend, a guy named Chuck Reinhold. He was a longtime Young Life staff worker. If you're not familiar with Young Life, it's an amazing ministry that does outreach, shares the gospel with high school kids on high school campuses and middle school students on their campus. And Chuck was an area director, so he had all these staff. He had a staff team, and they would come into the office every morning before they would make a plan and go out and be sharing the gospel with kids. And so he would gather them, and he would ask them a question. He would always ask them this question. Did you spend time with the Lord before you came here this morning? And if you said no, he would send you home. Not as a punishment. He would send you home because he was absolutely convinced that if you came not having been with Jesus, the only thing you were giving out of that day was yourself. And kids didn't need more of yourself. They needed more of Jesus. See, we have to set aside this time. We have to begin our day in prayer. And it is hard. It is hard. But if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to begin his day in prayer with the Father, how much more do you and I need to begin our day in prayer? And so Jesus shows us his way, even in the busyness, even in the ministry, even in the fatigue, setting aside time to be with his Father. Jesus is found out. His disciples are looking for him. They find him and they say to him, everybody else is looking for you too, Jesus. Where did you go? You're in high demand. And what does Jesus say? 
Let's set up a healing ministry right here and just bring the whole country to me. Let's just build it right here. We'll stay right here. We'll get a big sign. No. He says something really weird. He says, let's go on. Let's go on to the next town that I might preach there also. For that is why I've come. The voice translation says it this way. I love it. it says, he says to them, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the next village, perhaps, so I can tell more people the good news about the kingdom of God. After all, that's the reason I'm here. Jesus did come to heal, but he came to heal more than our bodies. Physical healing is a demonstration of God's power and his kingdom, but it is not addressing our greatest need. And this is hard for us because here's the reality. God could heal our cancer. God could fix our marriage. God could free us from bad habits. He could lift us out of financial ruin. He can do all that, and he does do that. But even if he did all that, we would still be enslaved to our sin. And that's our problem. That's our fundamental problem. Our rebellious, prideful, selfish, and broken hearts. And so Jesus came to heal, but not just our bodies. He came to heal our souls. And that's his message. What's the message? Paul, in our reading from 1 Corinthians, tells us what's the message? It's the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, he says. It's the good news of our salvation through this Jesus. You know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to proclaim this gospel, this good news of salvation, a message that he would ultimately declare on the cross. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news. And that is why he has come. It's his good news for us. It's a message that we desperately need to hear. We all know that God does not always heal our bodies. He doesn't always deliver us out of our circumstances. But he always saves us. We can rest assured his salvation is certain. So no matter who you are or what you've done, in Jesus there is forgiveness and freedom. And the question is, how do you receive it? Jesus tells us at the very beginning in Mark 1, he says, repent and believe. Turn from trying to do it yourself and believe in him. Confess your sin and your need. Put your trust in him and he will save you and set you free. He will. This was Jesus' message. And here's the thing. We get to share that message. His message is our message. And this island and this city and this world desperately needs this message. It needs this gospel. And so Jesus invites us to join him, to go and tell more people the good news of the kingdom of God. After all, church, that is why we are here. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.